God's commands are often in conflict with the government's commands. It's very interesting. Now, what am I talking about? Well, we're going to talk about that today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering from the Bible the history of God interacting with us and talking to us. And it's very interesting. So get ready for that. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what's going on? I'm going to be taking a look at the doomed ships of King Jehoshaphat from 1 Kings chapter 22. Ryan? Today I want to talk about the Philistine deity of Ekron, whose name means Lord of the Flies. Unfortunately, King Ahaziah decided to seek this false god rather than the one true god of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Very interesting. Excellent. So that they're coming up in about 20 minutes time, teaching in about five minutes, 25 minutes. Janice is coming up. It's our fun Friday wrap-up question of the week, anywhere from 1 Kings chapter 1 all the way through to 22. First Kings 21, 1 through 10. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near, next to my house. And for it... I will give you a vineyard better than it, or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed, and turned away his face, and would eat no food. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? He said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, You now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letter, saying, Proclaim a fast, and seat Naboth with high honor among the people, and seat two men, scoundrels, before him, to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him, that he may die. 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 1 through 10. First Kings chapter 21 and chapter 22. This is fascinating. As we read through the scriptures, we come to this place today and First Kings 21 shows us the depths that northern Israel has fallen to. Now, unlike their sister nation of Judah, 
Northern Israel did not remain loyal to one dynasty or family of kings. They experienced a lot of war and usurper uprisings. With the stories that we are told of Israel's inner workings, it's really no wonder. I mean, Ahab, the current king of Israel in 1 Kings 21, he was acting like a spoiled child, interested in a vineyard, which is next to his palace. Ahab tried to compel the owner of the land to give it to him. Ahab even offered Naboth, the owner of the land, a better vineyard or full payment for its worth. But Naboth would not budge. The land belonged to him through the inheritance of his fathers, and he wanted to keep it in the family as the law of God prescribed. Now, with this offer rejected, Ahab does nothing except go to his room and lay on his bed, the king, and he refuses to eat. Well, when King Jezebel saw his emotional state, she took care of Naboth's problem herself. And I want to tell you something. She is one evil person. And, and, you know, people talk about the Jezebel spirit. This is who they're talking about. <laughs> she was something else. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's page, the last day. It is a very good one. Now, if you're on the mailing list, you've already got a Bible guide for next month. But if you're not on the mailing list, let me just tell you that you should get the Bible guide. Or I recommend you get the Bible guide and read through the Bible with us as we explore these avenues of stories in the Bible one by one, all through the year. It's very good from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. You can write to us and ask for it, or you can call us and ask for it, or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, click on it, and it'll take you to the page or the place where you can download it exactly how we printed it. Very, very interesting. Today, bad politics. That's a good one, isn't it? I'm going to approach politics from a different point of view. The heart of man and woman is the one place where we need to consider how they make their policies. And so, Father, I pray today that you would help us to understand what you're saying in your word. I believe, Lord, that we too often make quick decisions. We watch newscasts and uh, commentary programs and all of that, and we just make decisions and all of that. But we need to pray for people, and we need to make decisions better. Help us, Lord, today in Jesus' wonderful name. And we all said together, amen, or make it so. Now, 1 Kings 21 is fascinating. Now, look at this, because this is amazing. It says, and it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Now, this was given to him, of course, back in the day, generations back, and it's God's will. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it's near next to my house. And for it, I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or if it seems good to you, I'll give you its worth in money. But, you know, Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab went into his house, sullen and displeased, because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. 
For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab laid down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food like a spoiled brat. Now, beloved, the first point is God's commands often conflict with the leadership of the nations. God's commands often conflict with the leadership of nations. We must continue to keep our minds focused on God's rules and not our rules. So many people have decided they know what God wants and it's what they want. But hold on a minute. Now, God will give us the needs of our heart, the desires of our heart, when we dedicate ourselves to serving him. But when we give our lives to serving the Lord, no longer do we have the selfish desires. That's interesting, isn't it? So we need to think this through. This is really important. Let's go back to the scripture and learn more. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? And he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered me, I will not give you my vineyard. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, you now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Well, this is fascinating. Watch this. Jezebel would use Ahab's position of authority to get what he wanted. Now, listen carefully. Human leadership is flawed because of sin. Human leadership is flawed because of sin. We must allow God's authority to rule. Now, that doesn't mean that we just write off all human leadership and go do whatever we want. We have to understand that there is a battle inside of every leadership, every political party, every situation, and we must pray that God wins the battle, that we give our lives to the Lord, we give our thoughts and our abilities to him and allow him and his influence to come into the world. Now, when we do that, things change and they shift. There's no wars. There's peace. There's no crime. Things shift and they change. Now, 1 Kings 21, 8 to 10, and she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. Here's what she did. She sent the letters to the elders of the nobles who were dwelling in the city of Naboth, and she wrote in letters saying, proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people, and seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God, Naboth, the king, and then take him out and stone him that he may die. Jezebel deviously plans a way to take Naboth's vineyard and his life. Typical bad politics. God knows all we do and think, all of it. We must keep our life close to him. Beloved, we are no better than any of the men or women who rule over us. All of us are human beings. All of us have temptations and problems. We need to pray and ask the Lord to win the battle. We start by 
asking the Lord to win the battle in our hearts. So Father, we pray today that you would help us to follow you. We're gonna make some decisions every day and the decisions we make, we want you to be Lord of those decisions. Make those decisions, help us to do that Lord today. this character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, uh, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. So 1 Kings 22 is really interesting because it's quite a long chapter and it fits a ton of details in there. But I think one of the things that it does really well is tie up the reign of King Jehoshaphat. He's a really interesting guy. You know, he was the son of King Ahaz. So you've got two pretty good kings right in a row here. Uh, but Jehoshaphat is criticized here for making an allegiance with the kings of northern Israel. Jehoshaphat's the king of Judah. He reigns in Jerusalem. He's a descendant of David, but he makes this allegiance with the house of Ahab, trying to unite the country once again. I mean, there's a lot going on geopolitically at that time. Assyria is, is coming to the forefront. They're beginning to conquest other nations. So an allegiance would have seemed like a good idea. Uh, but 22 talks about one specific endeavor that he took on, which was seafaring and shipmaking. Take a look at this. While not a major seafaring nation, the land of Israel did have reasons and opportunities to develop seafaring technology. There were select pockets or areas where this was necessary, along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, the areas surrounding the Sea of Galilee, and on the shores of the Dead Sea. When breaking down the human motivation for seafaring, two reasons become obvious. First, in harvesting various and valuable resources, like fish from the Mediterranean and the Sea of Galilee, and bitumen from the Dead Sea. Second, in being able to travel across the water in order to trade these goods more efficiently and enhance commerce overall. Biblically, we see King Solomon develop a fleet of trade ships in partnership with the seafaring city-states of Tyre and Sidon. Through archaeological work, it's known that these areas in Israel were being used for resources and travel long before Israel was even a nation. Shells from the Mediterranean and Red Seas and Dead Sea bitumen have been found at sites throughout Israel, Jordan, and Egypt, dating from the Neolithic era and onward. This shows that from very early on, there were not only sea products available, but there was a widespread demand for them. This demand would have fueled seafaring technology. Better, faster, more secure ways would be sought to collect more efficiently, and ways to safely transport and effectively trade these goods would become a priority. There's an interesting study that's been done on the Dead Sea area specifically that demonstrates the natural but quick growth of seafaring technology. The Dead Sea's most valuable resource is by far its bitumen deposits that float to the surface of the water. The sea's difficult shoreline and the sheer size and value of the bitumen lumps that would surface made collecting them by raft and boat a much more attractive idea than waiting for the wind to carry the deposits to shore. This would have served as motivation for the development of rafts and boats. 
The next challenge faced by harvesters of Dead Sea bitumen would have been transporting their goods once collected and processed. There is a lot of unhospitable desert and land surrounding the Dead Sea that would have to be covered if the trips were attempted on land. Crossing the sea, however, was shorter by up to three times and overall just an easier, more direct distance. This Dead Sea travel is documented from the Hellenistic time period onwards, but was likely initiated much earlier than this. How early is not known, but the demand for Dead Sea bitumen was widespread as seen from remains at Neolithic sites, and in the early 2000s, the discovery of a 7th century BC anchor pushed the evidence date for seafaring into the time of the kings of Israel. While this study on the Dead Sea doesn't give us a conclusive date for how early residents utilized seafaring, it does show the whys behind the process. Value, demand, industry, and convenience all drove people to become creative with the world around them and monopolize on good opportunities. So that was just a bit of a primer on seafaring in general during the ancient time of Israel. And we see that motivation here in uh, 1 Kings chapter 22. We're told that Jehoshaphat specifically wanted to get the gold from Ophir, just like uh, uh, famous King Solomon had before him, his great, great, however many great grandfather. Uh, and But when we take a look at 1 Kings 22 and we pair it up with 2 Chronicles 20, we're told that a prophet actually confronted Jehoshaphat over this, not because of his motivation, but because he was doing it with these kings of northern Israel that were apostate. They had encouraged the nation of Israel and the people to worship other gods. And so that was not to be tolerated, even from uh, a, a different king, a different dynasty than your own. It was not to be tolerated tolerated, a friendship should not have been made. And so those ships were shipwrecked. Not <laughs> very, a good, very not interesting. Not a good scene. <laughs> not a good scene at all. You, you did a Saul thing. Uh, tell yes. us about that. Speaking of not a good scene, right? <laughs> King Saul, I mean, often he's portrayed just as the, the character foil to King David, an enemy to King David. But a huge portion of scripture, a first Samuel, is really dedicated to explaining who Saul is. So I, I put together a six-part Bible study. It can be done by individuals or by groups over a six-week time period if you want, uh, to really delve into God's plan for King Saul and how what King Saul represents and what his life can really teach us uh, in these times as well. So if you'd like to check that out, you can either call our office or go online. Uh, the Bible study is called Understanding Saul. Excellent. It's a very good series. Excellent. Thank you. Ryan. All right. Well, I know that our reading assignment is 1 Kings 21 and 22, but today I want to jump ahead to 2 Kings chapter 1, which is actually a part of our reading tomorrow. And in this chapter, King Ahaziah falls through the lattice of his upper chamber and he's fatally injured. But rather than seeking the face of Yahweh for help, he instead turns to the god of the Philistine city of Ekron called Baalzebub. Now, what's interesting is that this name actually means Lord of the Flies, and a lot of commentators believe that this was a deliberate Israelite corruption of the name Beelzebul in order to ridicule the false deity. But it's also possible that this isn't a corruption at all, because this idea of having mastery over the flies isn't a foreign concept in the ancient world. Check it out. Following in the footsteps of his wicked father Ahab, the spiritually defiant King Ahaziah also provoked the Lord to anger by pledging his allegiance to Baal rather than to Jehovah. 
Therefore, the Lord ended his reign prematurely through an ultimately fatal fall through the lattice of his upper chamber. It was a humiliating defeat, for he had not fallen with honor on the battlefield, but rather within his own palace walls. Yet even in this, Ahaziah refused to turn to the Lord for help, and instead inquired of Beelzebub, the god of the Philistine city of Ekron, as to whether he would live or die. Curiously, the name Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies, and many believe this to be a deliberate Israelite corruption of Beelzebul, meaning Baal the Prince, in order to show their utter disrespect and disdain for this so-called deity. This is conceivable for at least two reasons. First, Jewish writers are well known for their fondness of the playing upon of words. And second, while Beelzebul is a name known from ancient Canaanite texts, outside of this biblical passage, scholars have been unable to identify any Beelzebub in the ancient world. Of course, it's also possible that this name isn't a corruption at all, but rather a title indicating mastery over the flies, the spreaders of pestilence, and thus over the curing of disease. Interestingly, this was not a foreign concept in the ancient world. As a matter of fact, the ancient Romans and Greeks apparently called the god Jupiter the fly driver because they believed he could drive away flies. Significantly, two ancient artifacts bearing Jupiter's image connect him with mastery over flies. The first is an ancient paste, which is a composite of Jupiter's face with the body of a fly. And the second is a gem with the head of Jupiter in the center and two flies below, indicating his governance over them. Ancient imagery seems to also connect Apollo, the Greek god of medicine, with mastery over the flies. For example, a coin from Delphos where Apollo had a temple has on one side of it several images associated with Apollo, and on the other side, the image of a fly. Also included on this coin is an image of a goat's head, which apparently represents the Pythonic spirit, which is a spirit that is supposedly able to foretell future events. As the images suggest, and as history confirms, Apollo was considered the god of medicine, from whom a knowledge of future events was sought. Based upon this, some identify Apollo as none other than Beelzebub. If so, then it makes sense of why Ahaziah sent messengers outside the land of Israel on a 60-mile trip for such a consultation. Ahaziah sought divine knowledge from Ekron, just as people from all over the ancient world visited Delphi to inquire of Apollo. Of course, there is no power in such things, and if Ahaziah had only humbled himself and surrendered to the one and only God who does know beginning from end and does have the power to heal, his life may have been saved. So whether the name Beelzebub was a purposeful corruption of Beelzebul, we can't know for sure. But either way, this so-called God of Ekron and any other late manifestations is no match for the one true God. In fact, there is absolutely no power in these idols and false deities. Our God, the God of the Bible, is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, and there is no one else besides him. And that's one of the things that the Ten Commandments tells us in the Second Commandment, don't make idols in the form of anything. And Romans chapter 1 tells the Romans at the time in the empire, Paul says, listen, people have given up their worship to the one true God and they worship the created things. Yeah, wood and, and stone, as I, yeah. I think Isaiah puts it. Exactly. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we we could do that, say that today because we still do that. 
And uh, it's not that, that we worship things so much, but it's we worship our own desires mm -hmm. and our own free choice. Lots and of different own... idols. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And when you hear how the scripture describes it as, you know, they have eyes, but they can't see. I, exactly. They have mouths, mm. but they can't speak. They have arms, but it can't. And then if you worship them, like you will be like them. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it, yeah. Exactly right? correct. So we do become who we like exactly who or what we give our worship to. And that's the reason why God, somebody said to me once, you know, your God must be egotistical. He commands so much praise for him. And I, and I told him, I said, actually, no. I said, when we worship God, that's our state because we become like God. And that's the point God desires us to become like. So it's an exercise for us to remember. Well, and in praise, it takes our focus off of us. Onto God. Where it belongs. Absolutely. Totally correct. All right. Corey, you're doing a weekend version? Yes. Quickly. Yes. My husband and I, we do uh, Bible Discovery, the weekend show, and it airs exclusively on my YouTube channel, which is just my name. So if you uh, want to ask questions, we answer viewer questions. And as we're going through the Bible, we uh, discuss questions that come up naturally as we're reading through the Bible. So check it out if you'd like, or if you've fallen behind on your reading, we also post a 10 minute uh, weekly recap of the reading to kind of get you caught back up. So all of that and more on my YouTube channel. Very good, Very excellent. Good to check it out. Question, we've got For one sure. minute and 24 oh, we seconds. we can do this, we are good. <laughs> we got lots All of right. time. Lots of time, all right. So Greg and everybody, so just are. get ready, here it comes. Who was sent to the prophet Ahijah in disguise to ask about the king's sick son? Who was sent to the prophet Ahijah in disguise to ask about the king's sick son? Was that King Jeroboam, did he go disguised? Was it the king's wife? Did she go disguised? Or was it Abijah? Did he go disguised? Who was it that went to the prophet? Yeah, I think we, I think you covered this. We covered this topic on a few, few shows ago. So we did. yeah, we know what we're uh, gonna answer. So you right, understand the answer to <laughs> yeah. this question yeah. and you are about to present All right, it. so here it is. <laughs> we believe the answer to be it. Number two, the king's wife went in disguise. Absolutely, First Kings 14 verse two says, and Jeroboam said to his wife, please arise and disguise yourself that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah the prophet is there who told me that I would be king over this people. Thing was, God already told the prophet that she was coming and that she'd be disguised. And so her plan, the king's plan, was, wrecked. was foiled. Yeah, because she, he knew that he she, knew. she was the yeah. wife of the king. Very he heard interesting. Her, heard her coming. Well, Pastor Rod Hembry, that's the name, Pastor Rod Hembry on YouTube is where you can find Beyond the Call. Beyond the Call is an amazing program, the testimonies of Jesus Christ and the lives of people. It's a new program we put together just for you. And I, I wanna say that this is, we, we see God working in lives and it's amazing. 
So make sure you check that out and subscribe to the channel and like the channel. It's very good. Today we pray, Lord, help you to be in my life because your ways are higher than mine.